Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the topic of the meaning of life this morning, open our eyes and minds to the truth of your word. Give us wisdom so that we would know where to find meaning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you wake up in the morning and you go through your morning routine. Maybe you start the morning with a coffee, have a shower, read your Bible, eat your bacon and eggs, and then you go about your day's business. Maybe work, maybe school, maybe looking after your kids, maybe social outings. It might be another day where things are tough. Relationally, financially, maybe your body is failing you. Or you you just look around at a world that is doing it tough and you empathise with them. Or maybe you wake up in the morning and you're just on cloud nine every morning. You're happy every morning, got a big smile on your face, just enjoying the the small wins and little joys that, that God gives each day. And then after the day is done, You go to sleep at night and then you wake up the next morning and you do it all over again. And then you do it again and again and again and again and again. Is there meaning in this routine? Is it meaningful or meaningless? It was Einstein who said, A man who believes that his life is meaningless is not only unhappy, but hardly fit for life. And yet today, we turn to a book in the Bible where we hear the words meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, repeated over and over again. Where do we find meaning in life? Or indeed, is there meaning in life to be found at all? That's the question we're going to look at today. Now, the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, he describes this life as kevel. A kevel is a Hebrew word. You know when you go outside on a cold morning, it probably doesn't happen all that often in Kananara, and you breathe and you kind of got that little that mist that kind of comes out and it's there for a moment and then it's gone. You can't kind of grab it and go and say, look, here it is. It's just... It's there one moment and then it's not. Well, that word kevel is used 38 times through the book of Ecclesiastes. And in our English translations, it gets translated as meaningless or vanity. It refers to an emptiness, a breath, a a transiency. But the author of Ecclesiastes is not just talking about our breath when he uses this word kevel. He's talking about all of life. All of life is careful. All of life is meaningless. And so the refrain that we see over and over again through the book of Ecclesiastes is meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now before we jump into Ecclesiastes and explore this careful, this meaningless, it's helpful for us to know a few things about the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book in the Old Testament, called wisdom literature. Our wisdom literature in the Bible gives wisdom for how to live in our world and honour God at the same time. You've heard the saying, worldly wisdom? Well, that is wisdom about how to live in our world without God. 
Wisdom written for us in the Bible is maybe what we would call godly wisdom, how to live in the world where we know that God is real and that ultimately he is the one who will weigh our actions. So Ecclesiastes fits into this category of Old Testament wisdom, but a little uncomfortably. It's like when you jump on a plane and you're in the middle seat and you've got two really big guys next to you. It's a little uncomfortable. Well, that's kind of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament wisdom literature. Because as you read Ecclesiastes, well, everything seems, well, just a little meaningless, a little depressing. How does this fit with the rest of the Bible? Now, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, he's definitely not your peppy optimist. Um, but also, he's not your pessimist either. He's, he's more of a realist. See, pessimists look for the worst in everything. They have a negative response even when there is good to be found. But the writer of the Ecclesiastes, the teacher, however, applies his great wisdom to finding meaning. And we presume that if meaning were to be found, he would have reported it. And actually, we know this is true because we saw in chapter 12, verse 10, the teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. It's not an over-exaggeration. It's not an under-exaggeration. It's reality. And the teacher's conclusion, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Now, how is this giving us wisdom for living life in God's world? Well, that's what we're going to see in a moment. We're going to dig deeper. And we'll see that in the midst of this meaningless, that there is meaning to be found. There is a way of living in this world that honours God. But the other thing that is helpful for us to think about as we come to this book of Ecclesiastes is whose wisdom is it? In chapter 1, verse 1, the narrator begins... The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. As we read Ecclesiastes, there are are two voices, two different people uh, speaking. There's the voice of the narrator. He opens and closes the book. And what the narrator's words do is they frame the wisdom of the teacher. They interpret it for us, like in Star Wars. The first movie starts with the words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It frames the whole movie. You know that this isn't happening in your next door or in our time. It's, it's a different world, a different place. Or like the, an epilogue or a prologue in a book help explains the story. That's what the narrator does here in Ecclesiastes. He helps us to find meaning in the teacher's words. And the second voice that we find in Ecclesiastes, which is most of the book of Ecclesiastes, is the voice of the teacher. In verse 1, described as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Uh, Traditionally, it's been thought that this was King Solomon, uh, the king whom God gave the gift of supernatural wisdom. There's the reference to the son of David, to the reference to him being king, uh, the life circumstances, especially in the first few chapters of Ecclesiastes, give you the situation of what could have been King Solomon's life. However, there's also plenty of evidence within the book itself to suggest that King Solomon was not the teacher. Uh, For example, in verse 16, the teacher says he surpassed in wisdom all who were in Jerusalem before him. And now if this is Solomon, it's, it's referring only to King David. 
And then in chapter 5, the teacher makes a complaint that he doesn't seem to have any power to fix, whereas Solomon would have. Now, whether it was King Solomon or not, it doesn't actually change the way that we read this book of Ecclesiastes. God has preserved this wisdom for us. They are his words to us. They're not just the words of a wise sage, but God's wisdom for us in our time here today. And so it's a book that we need to hear from. So let's now jump into the book of Ecclesiastes. It'd be good to have your Bibles open there at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, where we see the meaningless of life. Verse 2. Kevil, kevil, says the teacher. Or meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's not just our breath on a cold morning that is meaningless, but everything. The teacher sounds a bit exasperated, maybe. A bit frustrated at life. Frustrated at death. You know, we see that in verse 3. What do people gain from their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. We toil and we labour in an endless cycle. Some people have a positive view of the work of humanity, thinking like the Beatles song, that we're getting better all the time, that we're progressing, evolving, becoming better, superior human beings. Uh, We'll call these people human optimists. They look at our technological advancements and our current policies and the things we care about and think, well, even if life isn't good for some people, on the whole, we're getting better. Other people are human pessimists. We're not getting better. We're getting worse. All you need to do is look at the wars of the 20th century and how can we create a bomb that can kill millions of people at the same time? Look at the inhumanity we see around us, the greed, the selfishness, and think life's getting worse and worse. Human pessimists. The writer of Ecclesiastes is neither of these. He's not thinking that life is getting better or worse. It's just that humanity is going in one big cycle. You live, you work, you die. You live, you work, you die. You live, You work, you die, and on it goes. A little bit like a series of home and away or days of our lives. It doesn't get better, it doesn't get worse, but it just goes on and on and on. (laughs) Generations come and generations go. And even the earth is full of these continuing cycles. The cycle of the sun rising and setting in verse 5, the cycle of the wind blowing to the south and north and swirling around and round in verse 6. Streams filling up the sea, but the sea never being full in verse 7. It just goes on and on. It doesn't stop. So humanity. The teacher has a a big picture perspective. He's looking at the, the whole thing. I think it's the difference between considering a wedding day versus the marriage. The wedding day, if it's a typical wedding is a stressful day to organise and prepare for. You have to make lots of decisions. You've got to choose a colour theme. You've got to manage family expectations. You've got to choose a dress and a suit and work out where you're going to have the reception and uh, what music you're going to dance to. And there's lots of little decisions. But then when you consider the marriage, those little decisions, they fade into the background, don't they? Beck and I have been married for 16 years. 
most people do not remember those little decisions that we made on our wedding day. I don't remember most of those decisions we made on our wedding day. The marriage is the big picture. The teacher in Ecclesiastes, he's, he's not focused on the little decisions in life. The details, he's looking at the big picture, the big cycle that goes on and on and on. And his conclusion is that it's tiring. Look at verse 8. He says, all things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Sorry, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. We're always living. We're, we're always hearing new things. We're, we're, we've got new experiences. But then he says, there's nothing new under the sun. You're born. You live. You die. Nations rise, nations fall, life goes on. And in verse 10 he says, Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new? His answer, no. It was here before our time. The world is just going on and on in an endless cycle. Now, you might be thinking at this point, but actually there are new things. Maybe the teacher here has got it wrong. You know, we're sitting in a building with air conditioning. That's new, isn't it? You know, a hundred years ago, Kananara, as we know it, wasn't here. That's new, isn't it? In our pockets or in our bags, we've, we've got phones. They're new, aren't they? The, the ability, and that recently new. You know, they, 2007 was the first smartphone. So what do we make of this? Well, I think to think like this is to actually miss the teacher's point. There would have been technological innovations in the teacher's day. The teacher's point is that in the cycle of life, in the big picture, you're born, you live, you die. And maybe you feel the the teacher's weariness, the tiredness, the, the meaningless. See, the ultimate problem for the teacher is the problem of death. Verse 11, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. In the cycle of life and death, generations come, generations go. In history, we know that there are some names that are standout names that we remember, but most people are forgotten in the annals of history. Uh, My granddad, uh, Brian Farrisee, I've got a picture here. My granddad died when I was 16. My kids never met him. They're not going to remember him. Maybe they will remember some of the anecdotes that I've told them, like when at the dinner table, if we were eating, he'd say, every time you talk, you miss a bite. If God blesses my kids uh, with kids of their own someday, my grandchildren are not going to know anything about their granddad. His life will be forgotten, not remembered. At a hundred years and his name will just be a line item on a family tree. But not just him, all of us. Our kids and our grandkids and their kids and their grandkids, they're also just going to pass away. They too will be forgotten. In Windsor, in the church there in New South Wales, behind the church is a stretch of grass with unmarked graves, people forgotten in time. That will be us. 
And that is the point the teacher is making. Life is kevil, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now after hearing this, maybe you're asking, well, where is the meaning to be found? Maybe you're thinking the teacher should have been a little bit more optimistic. How do we make sense of it all? And so we come to look for the meaning in the meaningless. And there are three things that help us find meaning. The first is the worldview of the teacher. The teacher is not writing as a a secular writer searching for meaning. The teacher is part of God's people. With the whole history of Israel behind him, he firmly believes that God is real, that God is our creator. The teacher despairs because he's only looking at what is under the sun. He cannot see God's full, glorious plan. He doesn't have the full revelation that comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's only able to make sense of things as he sees them. He he has a partial fulfillment where he, he sees the fallenness of humanity. He knows the promises of God, but he can't see how they're going to be fulfilled. And this is important for us to know and think about, is that a world that is not looking to God to find meaning looks in the here and now, and meaning in the here and now under the sun can't be found. It tries. The more our society moves away from its Christian roots, the harder and harder it is going to be for people to find meaning. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, who was a philosopher, he was the the philosopher who declared that God is dead. And he told a story of a madman, and the madman uh, believed that God was dead, and he was mad because he could see that all the people around him weren't living out the reality that God was dead. He'd he'd go into churches and he'd he'd preach that that they were sitting in God's tomb because he was so convinced that God was dead. He was frustrated because... People would say that God is dead, but they would still live as if God was real. Because that's where meaning is found. The teacher knows that there is a God. His search for meaning is it's kind of come to the point where he said everything is meaningless because he can't see God's glorious plan. And we need that same worldview. We need to know that God is real. We need to know that God created us. We need to know that God is there, that God cares. Frederick Nietzsche was wrong. God is not dead. The second thing that helps us find meaning is the words of the narrator. Remember how the narrator frames the book of Ecclesiastes for us. I'll flick to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Verse 13, chapter 12. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The narrator puts all the teacher has been saying in perspective. He sums up the teaching. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind, all humanity. The duty of everyone is to honour our creator. Why? Well, a time is coming when all that you have done will be remembered. Everything, 
whether you've done it in open or in secret, whether it's good or evil, God will remember it and he will bring it before him in judgment. See, what the narrator does here is helpfully points us to the life beyond this life, life not under the sun. The eternal life, the life to come where our actions here on earth will be shown to matter, shown to have meaning and not be meaningless. See, the final judgment of our life comes not from how many people are at our funeral and it doesn't come from the nice things that might be said by those people at our funeral. But it comes from the fact that we are going to stand before God and he's going to judge the way that we've lived this life that he has given us. God is the final judge, the final arbitrator of our lives. See, under the sun, maybe your deeds will be forgotten. Maybe you won't be remembered. Your achievements will fade. Your family will pass on. Under the sun, it might feel like everything is meaningless, kevil, a chasing after the wind. But in light of eternity, The things that we do now matter. They have eternal consequences before the judge of the earth. And it gives a whole new importance for how we live. What we do matters. How we love our neighbour matters. How we spend our money matters. How we use our pleasure time matters. How we use our time at work matters. How we raise our family matters. How we conduct ourselves in relationships matter. Because God will judge our actions. God will weigh our motives. We will come before the God of the universe who remembers everything. The narrator reminds us that eternity makes our lives in the presence matter. It gives our lives meaning. The third thing that gives our life meaning is Jesus. Unlike the teacher, we have God's full revelation. If we are to have hope and meaning, we need God's revelation to us in Jesus. And Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms that this life is not the end, but that if we believe in him, there's a life to come. John chapter 3, verse 16, which we had read earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, at the moment, we, we live under the sun, the big ball of gas in the sky. But Jesus says we are to live under the sun, him. We are to believe in him. That is the action that matters most. As we read in John 3, if we don't believe in the sun, we stand condemned. Our lives will be weighed and we'll be found wanting. We won't have met God's perfect standards, but if we believe in Jesus, we will receive eternal life. It is ultimately Jesus that gives our lives meaning. It's ultimately Jesus who gives us eternal life because Jesus will do something completely unheard of. Jesus will go and die like all before him, but unlike all before him, Jesus will rise from the dead. Jesus will defeat death and make eternal life possible. Jesus breaks the cycle of generations come and generations go and of not being remembered. He breaks that cycle because 
He can raise the dead to life. And when Jesus died, he died for our sin. He died to forgive those times that we've been found wanting before God. And the good news is, is that if you believe that Jesus died for your sin, we will stand before God on that day of judgment and be declared innocent, be declared guilt-free. The actions that we have done that we're not proud of will be declared forgiven. And so the most meaningful thing that we can do is believe in Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, our actions matter. They matter even if we don't believe in Jesus, but they they matter on a whole different level if we do. And that's what we're going to explore over the next few weeks. And so if you ask any Christian here if their life has meaning, I hope they'll tell you that their life is far from meaningless because of God who created them, who sent his son to redeem us, and that our lives matter and have more meaning than we could ever know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that while so much of life can look meaningless, you give our lives meaning. You created us for your glory. You sent your only son to save us and you remind us that what we do matters. Help us, Lord, live lives that bring you glory and honour and praise and help us not to fall into the lie of thinking that whatever we do is meaningless. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.